0: happy Thursday 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 um welcome to the Healthy Indoors live show I'm your host Bob Krell I'm founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors magazine and as always it's great to have you here wherever you're coming uh from uh many of you are probably watching us on the Healthy Indoors online global community either live or after the fact but some of you are probably catching other portals on social media as well as uh Vimeo uh and uh YouTube so uh Without further ado, let's talk a little bit about the Healthy Indoors community, because that's a place uh, many of you are familiar with our HealthyIndoors.com site, which is our uh, kind of our mothership. Uh, we have all of our old archives from the from the, uh, from the publications and a lot of our videos. Uh, but the Healthy Indoors Online Global Community is a platform that we launched last year and starting to go full blown now with this. This is a uh, indoor environmental slash sustainability uh, centric platform where you can network with other professionals. Uh, you can uh, see our content. Um, members of the community now have the opportunity to watch a monthly Ask Me Anything event that we host there. And these AMAs are, are they're really nice. We bring an industry expert in, a uh, subject matter expert, and uh, have them on board to uh, let you join in and actually ask questions live with them. Uh, last month's, uh, the September one was uh, with Jeff May, who's a longtime uh, expert in the uh, IAQ industry, and it was, that was a great event. We've got another one coming up in a week or so with Dr. David Kraus, So we'll give you more on that uh, information. Uh, but of course, uh, to be able to attend those, you need to be a member of the Healthy Indoors Online Global Community. And you can learn more about that at healthyindoors.global. That's the website for it. And that's where you find out about it. So um, we're uh, going to be back with a really interesting show today. Um, pr- pretty excited about some of the things uh, we'll be talking about. Uh, two weeks ago, we had a show with... Um, uh with Nate Adams and Brian Orr uh talking about some of the federal initiatives that were uh, underway and happening. Uh one of which of course was the clean air and buildings challenge by EPA that happened earlier in 2022 and also the Inflation Reduction Act um you know brought up a lot of a, a lot more talk about how this could affect the HVAC and building performance industries. So today our guest are uh, happy to say is Bill Spone uh Long time person in the industry, very well known, very uh, well respected gentleman. Uh, so, we're going to talk further about these topics and some other topics uh, when we come back um, after a brief word from our sponsor. Mm-hmm. So our guest today is Bill Spohn. He's a professional engineer and president of True Tech Tools Limited, an organization that's been selling equipment uh, in the industry and very well known to probably many of you in the audience. Uh, Bill also uh, featured his house. We'll talk about his house a little bit later, but he has Spohnhome.com, talking about his high-performance modular house that was built a while back. So uh, real interesting stuff from uh, Bill. So I welcome him uh, in now. Bill, how are you?
1: Great, Bob. Thank you for inviting me on the show and um, really respect what you do out there.
0: Well, thank you. And the feeling is very mutual. Um, you know you're you're no stranger to podcasts. I mean, you, you do you do a lot of podcasting. you speak on other people's uh, mm-hmm. uh, podcasts. you uh, do live industry presentations. I've seen you present before. Um, and it's always a pleasure to uh, speak with you about things. So yep. let, let's, for those, you know, some, some people in the audience may not be familiar with you. So I just want to just, you know, do a quick little recap. You, you started, uh, well, you're a licensed professional engineer. So you, you've, you and mechanical, obviously, yep. I'm assuming. Yep. Um, and, and you started uh, with uh, Testo, right, years ago?
1: Um, actually started in sort of the HVAC building industry with Beckrack. In 1988, Um, then did a short stint with a company that was 10 years there and then worked at a company called Superior Valve and then for a short period of time and then worked for Testo for 10 years. So from um, 99 to 2009, I worked for Testo and then uh, near the end of my time with Testo there, um, one of my um, employees, Jim Bergman, and his dad started True Tech Tools. Uh, and it grew pretty rapidly. Uh, they sought me out for some advice. Uh, and then I joined full-time in 2000, 2009.
0: And you've spent a lot of time, uh, doing really volunteer work in the industry too, right? You've been on committees and
1: I'm I mean, a chronic anyway. volunteer. Bob. Yes. <laughs> I know. It's a condition. I
0: just, well, why, why, uh, you know, I'm no, it's, I mean, it's great. I'm, I'm not, I'm not questioning it, but it's like many people just Can't seem to find the time to even do the work. You know, they're they're paying work, but to do volunteer work, I think is just it's really extraordinary. You know, and it's it's really beneficial.
1: Thank you. I I look at the like an opportunity. Like when I sort of the the public commitment of saying I'm going to volunteer to do something, I have to own up to that. So I I seek things out which I will volunteer for, which will advance me personally or professionally. So when I make that public commitment, um, I. You've tried very hard to honor that, and, and usually do, uh, and in that case, it it helps me grow. So that that's my hack, my life hack. We can stop the whole podcast there. Yeah. The
0: that's that's the important. That's really an important one. Well, on your on your LinkedIn page, it's interesting to say that you know you have a or I, somewhere you posted, I think it was on LinkedIn, that you have a great team around you, so that it frees you up to be able to do this stuff too. Yeah, so I, I think
1: I gave you a little bio. It's like so that I can just wander around doing silly. But important things, I think so.
0: But, but it gives you a little uh, little autonomy there. Yeah. Um, so one of the so we advertised that Joe Madosh would be joining us on the show, and he's unable to join us today. So you know, uh, Joe, <laughs> wherever you are, uh, he's in the mountain. I don't know where he is, but uh, anyway, Joe, Joe was unable to be on the show. We're going to have him on in a future episode. But I figured at the very least we needed to acknowledge that <laughs> because That's all the
1: show has ever been that I know of. <laughs> he
0: there you go. You know, yeah. So, and, and Joe used to be, uh, for, uh, for the first year or so when we went live with this weekly, Joe was a co-host of the show. So he's, he was on a lot of the uh, earlier episodes of our program. So, uh, miss him and hope to see him again soon. So I, I guess, you know, to the matter at hand, right. Um, mm-hmm. we're, uh, I guess the EPA, um, the EPA, uh, Clean air and buildings challenge is, uh, it's a pretty big factor, you know, why we're going to be discussing today and how that, that, um, new initiative from EPA and from the White House, you know, may affect the HVAC industry and building performance industries. Um, to that end, last week the White House had the first ever dedicated event at the White House about indoor air quality that I can remember in my career. I, I've never seen anything like this before. Um, it was a half-day event that was quite interesting. I'm going to show a clip uh, quickly from Joe Allen, who was doing one of the uh, kickoff keynotes,
1: and enhanced productivity. Why spend dollars recruiting talent? And then putting them in a place with poor IAQ where they can't think, concentrate, do their work, and they get sick more often. It doesn't make sense. Healthy buildings are really about protecting your people, your business, and your assets. Businesses must rethink their environmental health and safety and real estate strategies, moving past performative check the box IAQ and incorporate healthy buildings into their ESG plans. Put all this together the COVID benefits, the health benefits, the equity benefits, the climate benefits, the business benefits. It becomes quite clear. There's no reason not to improve indoor air quality in our buildings. Now that the world has experienced COVID, healthy buildings are no longer nice to have. They're the new minimum.
0: Yeah, I, and, and just you know, to that Clean Air Challenge, the White House you know, is inviting building owners and operators across the country to join us in our efforts to continue fighting the spread of COVID-19 by publicly pledging to meet the Clean Air and Buildings Challenge. So th- this initiative was driven by the pandemic and COVID, and there's, there's four action steps creating a clean indoor air action plan, uh, optimizing fresh air ventilation, um, enhancing air filtration and, uh, air cleaning, and also engaging the building community, you know? So to that end, you know, the program, there's nothing revolutionary there, right, Bill? No,
1: there isn't. I, I, I treat it sort of like the white house challenge is basically uncle Sam saying, pay attention and. Joe Allen, what he said, and this, not to be rude to Joe, but to, is he saying like, duh, <laughs> why, why aren't we doing more of this? And that's, I think some of the frustration that, that I've felt over time, because I've heard that, I first heard the term IAQ in 1995. That's like 27 years ago. Um, and that was, I was with, with backrack, and it just, it, it, IAQ isn't a commodity that you can buy. Um, there and I, I feel there is much curiosity, and I'll just say you know, little real action on IAQ, and it, it becomes very frustrating. Um, and, and even the the pledge that they're asking for is is just a pledge; it doesn't mandate action, and I don't think they really can. Um, but it's it's sort of a frustrating mix of things. And and I I really found interesting the conversation you had with Brian Orr and Nate Adams um a couple weeks ago uh i I went through that and took a lot of notes um yeah so and i want to sort of springboard off of that but it there there was a certain amount of frustration that brian and nate exhibited and i'm exhibiting that too
0: now you're gonna have to elaborate on that now now you said you're Give me a little bit of uh, insight of to the frustration that you're that you're experiencing that that they also voiced uh, two weeks ago in the program.
1: Sure. So the the principles are well understood. Um, it's like there, there's I even made note here. Um, I had Bill Bonflith, who is a professor at Penn State University, was the chair of the pandemic task force for Ashray. He was on my podcast episode ninety five. If you want to look that back up, building HVAC science. He pointed out that they looked at um, things like UV germicidal radiation being used in rural schools in Pennsylvania in 1947, and showed a documented decline in measles outbreak in in the schools. So th- there's techniques that have been known for for lifetimes, basically. Uh, and then going back, something that Brian mentioned in um, the podcast or the the show a couple weeks ago um, fresh air like what your grandmother told you drink plenty of water get plenty of fresh air um, you know opening up the house that kind of thing and it just it just goes back to frustrations people are looking for a fix they're looking to buy iaq you can't buy iaq you have to work through a process and it's so individual there's there's almost no common baseline to enter into it such that someone could say Here's a product that does it. It's, it's not like an internet router or a toaster oven or a convection oven. It's it's, so individual.
0: No, and that that's such a great point, Bill. You really, yeah, you, there is not an off-the-shelf widget. Well, it's not even a single way to even analyze or assess, right? Yeah. We don't have a tricorder like Star Trek. Right. You know, you can't just uh, all of a sudden... Uh, you know, there's no device that True Tech sells that can do that, right? Nope. They can just tell you good air, bad air. Uh, but yet clients ask for that. And I think the general, genu, uh, the, you know, a lot of people in the general population, I think, feel that way as well.
1: And, so. and when you get into it, um, they, they ask for it. And then you start to really talk about it in the level of detail that's necessary. And, and even, you know, Brian and Nate talked about this. People's eyes glaze over, their ears glaze over, whatever. <laughs> but it it just becomes a little bit too much. Um, how, however, I, I just want to, don't want to sound like, you know, doom and gloom here. I think this is an important, I, I almost, I want, I made note of this date of that White House, um, meeting or symposium, uh, to look back in a few years to see if there, if that deed could be looked at like a point of inflection or a turning point, because I think it has the potential to do that.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it really does. I, I've been in the industry for a bit. I mean, I think I started what would be effectively indoor air quality stuff was '86, so it's it's been a little while. And um, you know, and the term IAQ really was coming of age late '80s, early '90s, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and that and that usually was not or not synonymous, but tagged along with BRI, building related illness. There were those were the the early uh, the acronyms flying syndrome, around SDS. the industry. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean it. it this could be a good inflection point on the industry uh although now i'm looking back and, and you were in you were in the industry at that point or getting in the industry in 1992 to 94 there was a lot of initiatives um on a federal level right um uh reps kennedy and uh and i'm forgetting the other one. Oh, this is terrible susan's gonna grill me for this uh but you know there, there were there were proposed uh, legislative measures in Congress that looked like they were going to get some traction because that's when we were dealing with environmental tobacco smoke, Mm -hmm. big ETS thing going on. EPA's indoor air division was pretty well financed and funded, kind of fighting big tobacco, right? You know, that was the the incentive. And then all of a sudden it was like it flipped on a dime in 94, you know, when you had the midterm elections and suddenly, you know, it's like the wind went out of the sails for at least a federal level pushing an IAQ initiative.
1: Yeah. I I think you know, th- things like this. Again, I'm not talking doom and gloom, but things like this raise the level of awareness, raise the amount of attention, and they're going to be, you know, programs that get put into place. None of them are perfect, but I think they they ignite change with the right kind of people, and it it raises awareness. Uh, consumers will start to ask questions. Uh, contractors will start to be engaged. Um, systems and programs will, will come forth. Uh, I think it's going to, it's slow progress, you know, not, nothing's perfect when government's involved.
0: Sure. And and like you mentioned, you're raising, uh, the level of awareness now I and mean, that's certain you know, that's, I think the whole pandemic's done that. Has it not? Yeah. I mean, people are more attuned to indoor environments first spending, you know, the first part of 2020 at home, right. Sequestered. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, at least, I, so I think we're in a, we're at a moment in time, where it makes sense to try to drive these initiatives further forward, hopefully.
1: Yeah. And I, th- I think, again, the, you know, going back to the basics, like, you know, Brian talked a little bit about, um, you know, humidity control, ventilation and filtration. Those are some of the things that have been out there in, in the ASHRAE world. Engineers have known about it. Uh, they've been built into, you know, buildings to a large extent, uh, for comfort, uh, but then then sort of there's this balance between comfort, energy efficiency, and health. Um and I, I think, you know, Joe Allen um mentioned it in his presentation there that it's it's possible to to sort of achieve a sweet spot in that that Venn diagram where you can get to a place where um energy efficiency, health, and um comfort are all uh being equally addressed.
0: But I, I think you have to. Right. I mean, that, that's because that was always, um, you know, that was always the the feelings back when I first got in the industry, late 80s, early 90s. You know, you can have you can have energy efficiency or you can have indoor environmental quality. It's like, no. Yeah. You need both. <laughs> We're not at a point in time where you can you know, you can you can sacrifice one for the other. I don't believe, are we?
1: You, you know, you're not. And, and um, I think, you know, Robert Bean.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, one of his statements and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here is. Um, build for people good buildings follow so you got to remember the whole purpose of creating shelter or enclosures is for the people and you have to look towards um, aspects that are important to the people that are inside uh, that building or or shelter and i think um, you know in an extreme case you could look at say like a, a hospital that is definitely built to help manage People that are sick, illnesses, things like that. So there are many layers of control uh, and you know treatment, activation, filtration of the air that are taking place to maintain a very you know safe and, and um, environment where people can regain their health.
0: But I think there's more of a more of a concern in in healthcare facilities, you know, for that. And I think that's more of a mandate, whereas in, you know, standard yeah. office, office spaces and even in our residences, I mean, the way we traditionally build in, you know, in the United States, we really don't provide for, you know, good sources of ventilation. You know, it generally, we haven't traditionally, right? Most most uh, single-family homes in this country don't really have an outside air provision. You know, it's right. through leakage. <laughs> that's yeah. not a great way to do it.
1: It's accidental, yeah.
0: Uh, and yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's, you know, I think it's important to, you know, Again, to take this because I think that we're more attuned to indoor air quality issues now. Perhaps I, I hope, and um, but you know, but but it's there's also don't you think there's a risk that we're going to uh, end up in a situation where we're, um, you know, it it seems like we have a very short attention span (laughs) as as a species. What did you say? we have a short attention yeah yeah exactly thank you I, and, I, and i was going to repeat myself like an idiot too um and i also have to comment susan susan valenti our editor of healthy indoors magazine uh pointed out it was henry waxman uh the name that i couldn't find earlier
1: okay
0: and i should know that yeah. we've done articles about him. Eh, you know whatever <laughs> there's a, one thing i'm finding as i'm getting older i don't know if this is true for you but like my entire capacity for for memory, it's still there, but it has a finite value. So if I put more in, something spills out.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's um, like like little um, alphabet blocks moving in through your ears. One of my friends said, or what I try to do is I try to capture it somewhere I know where it is, and then I then I let go of it. And And that's what I I do (laughs) about now
0: too. But if it's not in notes you know, I don't write it down or, you know, put it in a planner or put it in my phone. Yeah. There's a tendency to drift on me. I'm not going to lie.
1: Yeah. I think there, there are, you know, with the um, improvements in sensors um, there are now is the ability to, to brought for interested parties, building owners to broadcast their air quality, their quality parameters and i think the more that that information is available the more people will become interested in it become curious about it and perhaps even begin to uh, demand it once they start to you know catch on with what the the white house has been talking about
0: well there's certainly different uh levels of sensor technology out there right we've got Mm -hmm. pure consumer level uh, sensors that are you know they're in that two hundred dollar ish range, right? You know maybe the let's say the one hundred to four hundred dollar range is where they, they fall, and then you have the more of the commercial professional, not professional, analytic equipment, but professional sensing equipment that's you know now over the five hundred mark, right? Maybe mm-hmm. pushing as high as maybe fifteen hundred on some of those standalone devices. Um, and, and the thing is, how did I guess? Do you, do you see a market for all of these type of things, you know, for, for the less expensive consumer ones? You know, because there's been a lot of critique that they're not, you know, necessarily all that accurate or replicatable until you start getting into calibratable equipment. So yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Because you're, you're a, you know, you are a distributor for a lot of this stuff.
1: Sure. And it, it it's, it's not easy. Um, we, for, for example, we got a, a message through our social media the other day you know, it was actually ended up being from a consumer who received a report um, from a product, one of the products we sell, but it wasn't the exact one we sell. It's still a number of different entities that told him he had chemicals, a high level of chemicals in the air in his home. And he he wanted to buy something to speciate or tell him what those chemicals were. And when we sorted it out a little bit, what he was receiving was a signal or a a message in a report that said, you have total VOCs, volatile organic chemicals are high Uh, in it, but that's all the report could tell him. I mean, this, this is a a sensor suite that has, you know, reporting capabilities that's already $2,500, but it still can't tell you exactly what's going on. So the advice tends to be very generic. You know, look for sources of volatile chemicals and things and things like that. Uh, and and even there there's some good resources, uh, some in the indoor air, the EPA indoor air site, that talk about a um, simple version of a house. You know, different rooms in the house and what could be the sources of these of these various things. And a lot of it ends up being pretty simple. Sometimes it ends up being very mysterious, and that's where if you if the simple stuff doesn't take care of it. Then you need to get a professional with more advanced equipment to uh, to diagnose and figure that out.
0: Yeah, and these devices you're talking about usually have a photoionization detector module, right? That's the, the upper the level state. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, even the, 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 even the even the lower level ones are starting to have PI, PID right. modules because they become a lot less expensive. I mean, yeah. I don't, I, I can't attest to the quality of the lesser priced ones, but I know there's a lot coming out of China. There's like devices that aren't a photoionization sensor i mean if you go to buy like a professional device like for example uh array you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. right ray ppb that's about eight thousand dollars right uh, that's an expensive photo ionization detector but i mean there's modules out there i think that at least wholesale they're only under a hundred dollars for the module you know so that,
1: yeah and and that's that's the trick though is you in, in the you know joe and i um played around with the sensor module but it's then you have to ex- extract the information, you know, linearize the signal, reduce noise, all that kind of thing. And you end up building a device around it. So the a hundred dollar module may end up in a $5,000 product sure. um, because of everything sense. else that's required.
0: Um, and again, you know, a TVOC reading, that's, that's a generalization of the volatile organic compounds that are in the space, but let's face it, you can trip one of those things off by having a cleaning compound or a magic marker or any, any number of things.
1: Or, or stuff peeling an orange yeah
0: oh oh, absolutely yeah yeah so i i guess all of that um you know uh, you have to the interpretation is the important part right and then maybe Mm -hmm. that's hard to interpret how um so i guess that's a good that's a good that's a good step off point there too um these devices the the intent of these devices is to be logging information or looking at information over uh, extended periods right this is ongoing data logging going on so you're seeing trends so yeah, is so is is there a value in a less expensive, maybe less accurate trending device uh, versus, let's say, uh, a really accurate single excursion that, like, a professional might use? But you know, walk in and out, they're not going to leave their ten thousand dollar meter there.
1: Sure, it, it, they're, um, the less expensive devices can be a gateway to information and further investigation, and like like you said, it's absolutely critical to look at things over time. Um, snapshots, e- even snapshots on the order of, you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes still aren't really telling of over the overall situation. Um, when you begin to look at things over longer periods of time, and I've, you know, I've had access to graphs of all kinds of data over longer periods of time, um, you'll see some surprising information. And sometimes it's, uh, it could just be a sensor issue. You see a real huge spike, um, or it could be the, you know, something actually is going on. There's a situation going on.
0: So you're seeing, um, are you seeing a lot more, uh, I, I guess, adoption, uh, by building owners and, and the commercial entities for bringing in, uh, these uh, remote sensors, sensor technology into, you know, commercial spaces like offices or maybe retail environments, uh, hospitality, I mean, across the board, or, or and even healthcare for that matter, uh, because that typically we, we didn't have that in healthcare. Other than pressure sensors, maybe they didn't really monitor much else. Yeah, for isolation. And so yeah. is that something that's becoming more like, do you think that's going to be more mainstream?
1: I, I think it is, um, but it, it seems to go in waves, um, unfortunately. Um, I mean, even something in the White House summit when they were, they were discussing, I, I think someone from Clark County, Nevada, mentioned that there are sensors and ventilation systems in casinos. That are way above the quality of that in schools. That's sort of like the, you know, there's more, wanna, you there. want, there's more money there. There's more money there, and you want to keep people, you know, satisfied. People want to smoke. Let them smoke, but take right. the you know, filter out the particulates or ventilate whatever to do that, so that uh, everybody can be happy and stay when it's when it's about the money that's there. And you can't fault them. I mean, it's no. it just it's a it's a real tactic. But those things can be employed. Are those types of devices can be employed elsewhere, and I think one of the the, the little clip you showed there was about more about CO two that Joey Allen mentioned. I Joe believe Allen so, yeah,
0: because it was it was part of the Harvard, uh, Syracuse University study that came out several years ago. Yeah. So yeah, and that you know that in of itself, you know, it, it's interesting that the, this event this past week, the symposium from the White House, was absolutely COVID centric. Well, I yeah. mean, at least it, came, it was built that way, right? The initial, but the discussions really weren't as, you know, I mean, it was more broad term indoor environmental quality, but I would say the focus still, you know, they're talking in terms of, uh, air cleaning, uh, you know, remote air cleaning using standalone devices. And it seems like there's a, a lot of that is very going for aerosolized particle things like, you know, like the SARS-CoV-2 virus, right. um, but but they they to me they conflate the term air changes and air cycles and that bothers me as an engineer that must bother you too right mm-hmm. a little bit because it's not the same thing
1: no yeah air air changes deals with fresh air yeah actually
0: and and the point is is that if you're just using HEPA filtration you're not dealing with gaseous contaminants any of the off-gassing in the space so again great for particles great for viral particles flying around you know that hep, it's certainly great technology for that but does not if you don't have some sort of gas uh, sorbent type technology there you're really not addressing a lot of the other stuff
1: right unless there. it's you managing it separately with ventilation
0: yeah so but, but again this this event i think focused largely on you know on that mindset there was another thing that came out not not to find fault with the, one of the speakers but they did mention that they used uh they, they put a lot of uh ionizers uh in their school space and that. You know, I stepped back a little and I heard that. and I was like, Oof, did you? And not, not to, you know, again, not picking on the technology, but mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years back or a year and a half ago, Vinny Lobdell uh, from Health, Healthway uh, was on. And he's, he's been somebody that I've known for years. He's from this region uh, while he, him and his father founded this company. And they, uh, it, he made a quote on the show that I thought was interesting about filtration and, you know, the technology for air cleaning. He said, there's no bad technology. It's just, you have to, it gets misused, misapplied. Yeah. Like he says, all these technologies, uh, ionization, you know, even use of ozone and certain things. I mean, they make sense if you use them in the right lane.
1: Right. So. Yeah. And I think it's part of it is the, and this was the I'm springboarding off of the discussion a couple weeks ago. But um, I think, you know, Brian talked about HVAC text being biased more towards action than versus study. So if the study of the situation and the study of the available technologies uh, isn't employed as much towards action, action may be taken, and that's where the misapplication could come in. And I think the other thing is is society in general is biased towards uh, fixes versus really understanding what things take to fix. Um, I, I would venture to guess that there are a lot of less uh, teenagers doing um, work on their own carburetors (laughs) than when you and I were growing up. Um, And it's, it's, of course, it's a balance between, you know, money and time and attention to detail and appropriateness of action. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of the complexity of the situation, all those things just make it really, really murky.
0: Well, and to that show two weeks ago, you know, what's interesting is it seems like a lot of the uh, building uh, clean air challenge uh, at least makes the assumption or is at least, saying that they believe that the HVAC workforce is going to do a lot of this front-end triage. And to, to, to what you just said, too, I I think that's somewhat of a, uh, an unrealistic assessment to think that technicians that are out there tasked with actually doing service work are going to have time to do indoor environmental studies, um, even if they had the knowledge to do it. And they don't really have the ground knowledge or even the diagnostic equipment, right? Yeah.
1: I, mean, I was speaking with... Um... A business owner the other day and it was about, um, you know, getting certification and it was for uh, sort of like energy certification. And he was very, very clear on it. He he seems to be a very well-organized business owner. He's got to look at turning over tickets to to keep, you know, the business moving and he's going to take appropriate steps. And if it's, if it's like responsible business owners will look at it and say, it's really too murky for us to get into. So there'll be a hesitation. The consumerism doesn't understand what I'm pitching. I can't be totally confident in what I'm doing. I'm going to stick with this, and and I'll you know I'll keep providing cooled, perhaps dehumidified, or heated air, uh, and some filtration. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to limit my scope to to this activity.
0: Well, it makes sense though, right? I mean, Bill, I think it makes total sense because. It- it's a murky area, even as a professional consultant. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, and in, in my career, I've leaned away from cons, you know residential consulting, and, and because it, it's for me, it's a time trap. I'm, and I'm again not not berating anybody that does that, but mm-hmm. I, in my business model, you know, as as an older owner and, and doing this now, I don't have time to go out and spend hours somewhere where I can't bill for it. Right, That's what it comes down to. It's not that I, I wouldn't, you know, I end up going out and doing gratis stuff for people a lot of times that, you know, that really are in a hard situation and I, I'd rather just do it for them. But I, I, I can't, I can't in my business model, actually afford to be out, you know, spending a half a day at a house and make $300 or 200 you know, whatever. I can't do it.
1: Yeah. There's, you know, on top of that, like we talked about or just talked about before is the labor shortage. Sure. And
0: then I think there's the
1: information or knowledge shortage. Um, that you layer on top of that, and it just makes it very hard to make progress. Again, I hope you know the recent interest, uh, the recent emphasis placed on this, helps to move the dial, gets a few more consumers educating themselves or finding sources of education, uh, gets some contractors moving into doing these these kind of things. Um, but there's really no clear path, um, and I'm not. I'm trying to think of someone who I could say is has been successful. Like an HVAC contractor becoming there's successful, there's gotta be I some, think,
0: right, that have that have specialized yeah. and gone that route. Yeah,
1: but I think they usually stick with the basics: humidity control, ventilation, filtration.
0: Yeah, it, it makes. I mean, and, you, know, and the old, uh, you know, the old, you uh, know, the old parable. You know that, you know, to a carpenter, you know, everything mm-hmm. looks like a nail. I mean, and and not again, not not for nothing, and not to pick on the HVAC market, but I mean, their interest and their knowledge and their and what their forte is mechanical equipment. Sure. You know, and the peripheral equipment that goes with that, but, you know, being an IAQ consultant, uh, not really.
1: And again, there's a bias towards action. That's the way they're trained and many people call on them to get something fixed today or in the next few hours. Uh, and if an IAQ study requires a week of data collection, that's not in kind of the scope of what they do it's a different model it's not the current model
0: that that they're all labor under you know and and even you go back to you know some of the things uh create that indoor action plan including the HVAC inspections and maintenance and i just i'm going back to these these steps right and again this first step this this is predicated on the fact that somebody's going to go out and do some assessments in the field right you know and and, and with certain entities, I think it's very feasible, right? Larger commercial entities can hire a specialized engineering consulting firm, industrial hygiene firm, whatever to do the, to do a detailed study and actually get really uh, good, good a good basis for creating action.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and um, again, Brian had mentioned something about a symposium where uh, they were looking to make sure the IQ was as good as could be for a, okay. a large gathering of you know four hundred people. Uh, they took a look at the building systems and found them not to be in tip-top shape. I'll just say that. Um, they did bring in devices and did measurements and did testing and put in filtration and made it probably the healthiest space I've ever been in in the last two years. Uh, and then I checked with one of the auditors who who actually sort of implemented, did the measurements and the changes. I said, well, this is great. Um, What are they gonna do? It's like they're ripping it all out when we're done. (laughs) That's frustration right there. Like, you know, perhaps it was like it was free diagnosis, maybe some free equipment. You'd need some maintenance on it or some filtration replacement, but it just wasn't viewed as important enough, you know, to say, like, you know, you, you fixed it, but I'm not gonna keep the fix. That's that's saddening that was underscored some sadness in me.
0: Yeah. And it, that almost to me sounds like that's a situation where it was like a knee-jerk reaction to do something, you know, that there wasn't really buy-in from the from the forces that be at that at that entity, yeah. right? That it was like we have to do something because we have to show action, but when it comes right down we're not really buying in well, this need. It, or-
1: was, it was more like I think the the conference management said, We we really need to do this and we're just gonna get permission and do it. But in the end, it wasn't something that was bought into. Like you said, it was, uh, and I really hate to like, you know, disparage anybody, but that's just, I would just say that's evidential of what goes on.
0: It's, you know what, it's, you're speaking in terms of actual reality on the ground, you know, and that's, that's the problem. A lot of, I think a lot of legislation initiatives and a lot of government, whether it be federal or state, I think there is behind them, there's a good. You know, there's good motivation. You know, and, and there really is, are good intentions. But the problem is when you, you know, when the rubber meets the road, it, it's really hard to implement some things like this that are sweeping. You know, and c- certainly the clean air. I mean, this action plan. This is something we, the EPA's been spot. You know, really championing, uh, championing in you know, this whole concept for a long time, right? I mean, yeah. forever, you know, building air quality. I mean, it's like, this is, we're going back to the late eighties now. Um, you know, optimizing fresh air ventilation. Um, yeah, that, I mean, I think that totally makes sense. That's something that's in the wheelhouse of mechanical companies, right? You know, checking economizers, setting things, you know, you're building management systems, dealing with that. Um, this is also, it's interesting though, this is very U S centric and it is because it's an EPA initiative because mm. in the United States, for the most part, outside air with maybe yeah. the exception of certain urban areas is a, is a good thing. But as you go around the planet, right, you go to India, you go to China and a lot of other places, outside air is really not an option because the outside yeah. air is off. Or
1: even uh, wildfire areas, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, you know, again, filtration doing that, you know, in, in room cleaning devices, yeah you know it's interesting no, there's no mention here though what I, what I found interesting is no mention of actually cleaning the mechanical equipment i find that interesting
1: mm-hmm.
0: i'm not sure why uh you know why that isn't well there's something else that uh our editor susan pointed out uh back while she and i were both uh, remotely sitting watching the uh, symposium and what was very noticeably absent to us in all the discussions on this clean building challenge is anything microbial related there was not a single thing you know with the exception of they're talking about vi- you know i guess you could i guess you could say yeah. the sars cov 2 virus is microbial but but you know where i'm going is like the talk sure. of moisture issues mold and all of that like there was no discussion on that and in my experience in 36 years a good portion of problematic buildings have something that's a result of moisture problems and microbial activity
1: yeah yeah um that, you, that don't, you don't we don't address that
0: with mechanical equipment necessarily right
1: well, sometimes you do, you know, if you're causing uh, surfaces on which you can form
0: condensation. and Sure. Okay. So just, controlling late in, latent yeah. humidity load. Okay. Yeah. Right, right, right. well, well, and that's, you know, that's another, um, I think another problem that at least the industry's had for a while is that, especially in residential, I, I really do need to separate this. In residential construction, I've seen over my career, you know, over the years, uh, contractors that really oversize AC equipment. You know especially here in the north they or they everywhere and again to have you know extra capacity and that you know we both understand that that's a really bad idea because right. you're going to short cycle and not get any humidity out of the building and and i've just seen i've seen that happen in residences and commercial you know facilities a lot of times where they've they put in equipment and the place turns into a swamp nice cold swamp though
1: yeah Right. And even oversizing heating systems, you, you run into, you know, comfort issues. Or, or if you do, if you make some kind of change to the, the building envelope, um, you know, with air sealing or with insulation and you aren't um, right-sizing the mechanical for the new condition, uh, you, you can cause problems. It, and they might they may manifest as, uh, you know, durability problems or comfort problems um it's, it's a whole series of things
0: so look you know looking forward you know and I'm gonna make you look into your crystal ball <laughs> oh boy yeah right that yeah that's that wasn't intended that way but it's funny <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with it um what do you, what are your thoughts what do you see you know how do you see these initiatives like like the uh, building Clean Air Challenge, and maybe the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, that that regulatory legislation that's going on that, you know, what do you see happening that's maybe the you know, changes in store in the industry? Do you think the these initiatives by the federal government will it, will, in fact, affect change? Or do you think it's too early to tell?
1: I, I think they will, because I, I, again, i going back to something I said at the very beginning was Uncle Sam says, pay attention. Um, it's important enough to to broadcast this from the White House, to pull these people together, uh, to to start to provide at least a um, you know this action plan, this this uh, short checklist um, to uh, to to work through. Um, I, I think the other thing is the um, you know people are becoming more educated and more aware and more sensitive to the environments uh, that they live in. Uh, and I think that there's a, uh, it's going to be continue to be heightened in interest and demand from consumers, which should pull through education. In, I'm on a, a round table with the, the billing performance association. I'm also the, on the board and the treasurer of it, it's one of my volunteer activities, <laughs> yeah. um, the, the BPA, uh, industry roundtable. uh, we're, we're trying to get a consensus document going, talking about, you know, what, what, are, what are the the best things that can be done, uh, in in the situation, both for the, the things that are happening in the Inflation Recovery Act, uh, and also the Clean Air Challenge. Just this whole kind of concept together. the The total home is definitely, or the total house uh, aspect, total system aspect is on the table, uh, and what what I'd like to see from that, is that the manufacturers are still promoting all the good things they do with their product, but the subcontext layers in the message of building or house as a system, the interconnectedness and the, the one-offs that are some, the consumer should be aware that a one-off may not be the rest, best way to do something. This particular thing they buy isn't the total package and it may actually have some interreaction with other things going on. Um, again, you know, putting in, you know, for example, new windows, um, and you get some air sealing work done with that. Um, now you've sort of, you've changed the dynamics of the home that needs to be understood, uh, not to push more work on the customer, um, but to, to make them aware of ramifications of the things that they're doing.
0: But I mean, do you think that there's, uh, to some extent, like you're trying to trying to have a consensus group like that. And I'm assuming you have manufacturers and a lot of different types of individuals yeah. in that. Is that kind of like herding cats a little bit? Because they do have, you know, I mean, to try to get them to collectively understand that there's a common goal, you know, for, you know, you know, making healthier, sustainable indoor environments. I mean, that's really what they're all, everybody should be in that goal. But uh, how, how do you address that type of, uh, you know, because there are, there's obviously totally different, uh uh triggers for these different groups
1: right but i think it's if they would um speak towards the 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 house as a system it as a as a sub message it doesn't have to be the lead message but if there's any principles to be built off of you know three or four principles of houses houses a system that the manufacturer would talk about in the context of their marketing materials when they're pitching and selling their products Uh, what i found though is it seems like the Smaller manufacturers are attending every one of the meetings. The larger ones aren't probably because it's hard to assign a person or Mm. they change roles or there's competing priorities um, to to this. But the smaller ones, it just seems like there's, you know, the passionate people. Sure. um, Slash crazy people like me.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's a subtext for passionate. Yeah. (laughs) Because you have to be somewhat crazy to be passionate. Yeah uh immature is what uh boring people call us fun people too so uh, that that's that's you know it's that's, that's an, another clear definer
1: i've seen well, your halloween costumes
0: yeah oh well, that's right because you've been at events where i've actually oh yeah yes. up in you were in portland maine two years ago yes. right
1: right
0: uh, oh yeah Ooh. <laughs> yeah that, that was crazy that was uh after doing live streaming and being up for 27 straight hours then they went yeah. out for halloween it was yeah. also my anniversary which is like, we got, we were married on Halloween, which there's, that's another <laughs> subtext. Uh, but, you know, b- back to your point about, you know, the, the, the houses and systems stuff, you, your home uh, that you oh, built yeah. is, you know, is uh, a great example of uh, actually looking forward and thinking for us. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: So when we my wife and I, Marilyn and I finally decided that uh, we were going to like live out our years in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, we found a nice, plot of land uh and then tried to do the best that we could for ourselves and sort of the the environment too to you know to tread lightly uh to borrow a phrase um so we designed a home um that you showing that picture there and i have a blog on it called sponhome.com um i don't really like do any advertising I, i tell people the only thing i'm trying to sell is you to think different and to to try to provide evidence that, you know, we put together this this package to actually build a home um, that in 2021 was net zero, all electric, uh, very comfortable, um, and I think pr- pretty nice looking. Um, we we had the, you know, I'm not saying everybody needs to build one of these, but if you're looking at testing principles, you know, I tested the principle of a cold climate heat pump in Pittsburgh, a climate zone five. And then also the the tested the concept, put into action the concept of uh, having very good air sealing, uh, you know, very low blower door number, you know, managing the uh, ventilation such that, you know, 3000 square feet above ground and 1600 square feet below ground. So a total of 4,400 square feet could be heated and cooled by two tons of air conditioning uh, or, you know, two-ton air source heat pump. So. Which,
0: which you know, that's then. kind of rev- I mean, th- that goes against a lot of at least the purported conventional wisdom, right? You know, like, yeah. cause there's, there's a lot of people. And I know Nate Adams is a big champion of, uh, of heat pumps. I, I think heat pumps are great technology, but it, yeah. for years See? I always heard, oh, you can't run them in the North though. You know, you you...
1: Or or you need a crossover point where you need right. to kick in some other form Uh, So I switched off. I have electrical resistance backup just because it wasn't that much more just to be a little bit safer. Mm -hmm. Um, But I switched it off last year or ever after we moved in. Uh, So we've never run with electrical resistance, all heat pump related. Um, And and I'm also very open. I have a Facebook group too called Spon Home, um, as well as this uh, blog site. And I Talk about even the like kind of the challenges I have. We had we had some challenges with the heat pump installation. Um, the first off one did not work correctly. There was a leak, um, but once that got repaired, um, that was then late early twenty twenty one. Everything ran smoothly after that.
0: So I put up the graphic for your uh, blog site. Um, what, what I think was what I think was interesting yeah. is that you uh, you ran you know you basically. Uh, uh, followed the construction process of your home and it's a modular structure right that this was like so most of that was constructed off-site is that true yeah
1: actually yep so there were four modules built in a factory over the course of four weeks um in a factory nearby about 80 miles away and they trucked them to site and those are the four modules assembled there um what the thing that intrigued me once i learned about modular construction was everything's done under roof there's no uh, environmental exposure to the materials during the process of construction Um, there's jigs fixtures the work comes to the worker versus the worker coming to the work site there's no slogging around the mud or waiting for it to stop raining or snowing Um, they just come to the factory and work and they do similar things day in and day out with all the tools materials of construction readily at hand so the delays and the quality construction were the quality was very high Mm -hmm. the delays were not at all in fact they they try to move things through pretty quickly. They literally um, have a roller table that they push the modules through the through the factory.
0: Well, I mean, it makes total sense when you think about it because the way we, you know, typically do a lot, well, most of our construction, right, is, is we do stick build, most residential, yeah. and you, your materials are sitting out in the rain here in the Northeast. It's raining all the time. We're always doing construction in the middle of the rain or snow or somewhere, some you know unfavorable thing with guys slogging around like World War One battlefield. You know, yeah. and it's like try, trying to build and not get things wet. And then we wonder why we have mold and moisture issues in our building components before we even get the thing off the ground. Um, so that, that does make sense. Uh, more of a, and the thing is you have, you have, I think a lot better ability to control quality and production yeah. when you do it in, in more of a factory setting where you actually have some QAQC as opposed to out in the field where it's wild west.
1: Yeah. I've, I've done some presentations on, it, as you mentioned, and uh, one of the, I was in the uh, HomeDiagnosis.tv, Corbin and Grace's program, uh, ep- season two, episode five, where I talked about it, too. Uh, I, have a, I, was a, I was able to visit the factory one time, and I, I caught a QA supervisor helping a worker lay roofing tile, um, roofing shingles on the house in sort of like a little complex geometry that was there. Um, but it was being coached to do the right thing. Um, but being coached when there was like no wind, no rain, no right. snow, right? Uh, just on a, a step ladder. Uh, so every, everybody could see everything that's well lit. Out, well <laughs> lit. And, and like the other, like another picture I took, it seems trivial, but um, I saw somebody running uh, a shop vac to clean up all the drywall dust as the module was being finished. When they finished the drywall work, they were running a shop vac and cleaning everything up. So they really cared about delivering a quality product. And I just, you know, couldn't say more good good things about the factory than that.
0: Yeah. And that's, again, that's a bit of a paradigm shift for us. I know there's, uh, I mean, there, there are a lot of, well, not a lot, but there are some modular builders, to, mostly high-end construction right. you know, that's going on. Because, I mean, I think there's also this, uh, maybe in the general public, they hear modular and they start thinking more like uh, mobile home type you know i mean it, yeah they think manufactured modular yeah, I mean, manufactured get confused. which you know it's they're two two totally different mindsets <laughs> you know i mean both built under under the roof under controlled climate but one is really you know kind of low cost uh you know not necessarily the highest quality construction but even like energy sprung you know he's, uh, we've done uh, interviews uh with people involved with that with nyserda and, all, and also from uh, over in sweden and uh it, it's fascinating to me how they um you know, same thing. It's like they're doing retrofits, right? Net zero retrofits on existing buildings, but they're, again, they're building all the panels and everything yeah. in a controlled environment and they ship it to the site and they're able to retrofit a house to net zero in a couple of days. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. It, it
1: is. And like I said, I'm, you know, like not everybody can afford to do what I did, but if, if you want to see some, you know, some, some data on how things operate, um, you know, cold climate, heat pumps, uh, that kind of thing. And I, I tend to do more sharing on Facebook than I do in the blog um, because things just kind of come to mind and I take a picture or copy a graph or whatever like that.
0: So uh, your Facebook group's an open group? I
1: um, Just request to join. It's it's not public, but okay. it, anybody can just find it and say they'd like to join.
0: Excellent. So um, we're, we are getting toward the, toward the end of the hour, which I knew it was going to go fast. Yeah. I, I had like, seven other bullet points I wanted to get to, but, you know, um, but that means we have to have you back on again Okay. and now, and not wait three years this time. It's been yeah. a while since you've yeah. been on the show. Um, th- so, you know, and I, I concur with you that I think there we uh, there's, uh, not just an opportunity for change and improvement now, but I think it's there's some things are going to happen. The market's going to get shaken up because yeah. the, the difference I think between now in my mind from indoor environmental issues, IQ issues, uh, with the difference between the mid nineties is that there's money behind it this time. Yes. We didn't have that before. There was a lot of intention and we're going to do this and we're going to find funding and that never happened, but the money's already there coming off this rescue act.
1: Yeah. And the, and also the, even the lower cost sensors will get people interested um, you know, sort of, it, it's a gateway to curiosity um, and you get to move from the curiosity to informed action.
0: Yeah. And that's a good point too. Like I I know some people take pot shots at some of the, uh, you know, the lower price sensors and, you know, no, a $200 sensor is not going to rival any thousand dollar meter. It's not, Mm -hmm. of course it doesn't but then a consumer is not going to buy an eight dollar meter you know and and that's okay because i like i said i i I agree with you that i think they trend and they they raise awareness because there's something at least visually representative in your home right if you're using it as a consumer that's telling it's it's keeping you at least on alert that there's you know that you're you're paying attention
1: right exactly to um to make some kind of informed action
0: so um Closing thoughts. And it like, it's like, I'm sure there's at least one burning topic you didn't get to mention here because we didn't get to it.
1: Uh, well, I think
0: to close out and share with?
1: I think there's a lot of resources out there. Um, if you're a contractor listening, HVACR school, um, just go to HVACRschool.com type in IAQ. Brian does a wonderful job of collecting and sharing information. Um, again, and also the sort of the, the same show that Brian was on with Nate Adams, HVAC 2.0. He's got a lot of in, insightful, thoughtful things uh, that he talks about there. And you can follow Nate and his book, uh, the home comfort book is also, I think if you're a consumer, you should download the free chapters, uh, from Nate, the house whisperer.com. I believe there's four free chapters out of six from his book. You could buy the whole book, but he gives you two thirds of it, um, as a free download, if you're curious about HVAC systems, sort of an unbiased um, tutorial on how they they work—not a super technical one, but enough to allow you to be conversant and ask the right questions. Uh, and then again, if you're a contractor involved with, um, you know, marketing these kind of products, the Energy Circle, um, EnergyCircle.com, Peter Trost and his, his gang do an awful lot to communicate uh, for contractors, what's happening in the market, what are consumers searching for and helping connect consumers and contractors with a lot of important things on, you know, energy performance, electrification, solar, IEQ, and then finally uh, building performance association, uh, webinars, recorded videos that you'll find there. Uh, There's a lot of great uh, touch points uh, for, I think, even, I would say, you know, pro people that are in programs, uh, contractors, and even some for consumers. Um, and finally something I think you probably talked about on this show is BPI has the healthy home evaluator, uh, Mm -hmm. designation, uh, and healthy homes is a little bit broader than just air quality, but it is a segment of that. Uh, and there are professionals that do have that certification too. So, bpi.org and healthy home evaluator. So I'm, I'm like giving it all up. To you, be are, a you are, you <laughs> are. Um, that that's what I try to do is somebody has a question. I try to connect them with good information as well as provide a little of my own.
0: Well, you know um, it's, it's always informative when you're on because you have, you have a great thanks. insight. You've had a lot of experience and you communicate quite well, Bill. Oh, um, yeah. And it's, it, and the plugs for all these other uh, resources, I think is fantastic. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Point out too, Nate Adams will be back for a full show. It was originally scheduled for next week. Um, next week, we're actually going to be doing a pre recorded show we did with uh, um, ACAC. Uh, Andrew, uh, uh, yeah, Andrew Adams from ACAC is going to be uh, on with the show next week. I'll actually be at a uh, Uh, chps uh uh, event down in uh, houston texas or just outside of houston texas live streaming for them so uh that was kind of a sudden thing so i got this this cropped up and they needed a live stream so uh so the live Mm -hmm. show for healthy indoors won't happen i'll be uh currently doing a different show we'll be back again uh live the following week on november 3rd with uh nate adams though so lots of good stuff coming up yeah that's thank you it, it never ends never ends well listen uh bill this was this was great um we will absolutely have you on again in the not too distant future i I promise i won't let years go by my excuse is there was a pandemic and it threw everything off (laughs) that's a great i'm still using that excuse
1: yeah and and you're welcome to come on my podcast too uh, and i'd be happy to you know
0: it'd be nice to not have to actually do any planning and production and actually just be a guest just riff on what you do that'd be a lot easier yeah (laughs) You, you know that Right. producing shows is a lot of work so um yeah we're at the top of the hour kids uh unfortunately uh it's time to say goodbye again adieu for a week well like i mentioned we'll be back next week with a pre-recorded show with uh, andrew adams and we'll also uh be uh back again with a full live broadcast on november 3rd so uh stay tuned for that um until next time, uh, I'm Bob Krellum, founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine. Always appreciate your input and your staying along with us. And until then, stay healthy.